This is episode 104 on the Live Blissed Out podcast. Did you know that there are five universally accepted basic tastes? Sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. Hello, action taker. Welcome to Live Blissed Out a podcast where I have inspirational and informational conversations with business owners and subject matter experts to help you get the scoop on a variety of topics. Tired of hesitating or making decisions without having the big picture? Want to be in the know? Then this is the place to go. I'm your host, Marissa Houston, helping you achieve bliss through awareness and action. So let's get to it. In this episode, Avi Rosacci shares the three key elements for cooking flavorful food. Avi and her late husband, Rob Olson, are the founders of Happy Jack Spice. Rob had a passion for flavor, blending and creating seasonings. He was a patient chef and it showed in his signature meals and famous green chili. Avi describes her late husband as a cross between Emeril Lagasse and Bobby Flay. Everything he made was with a seasoning he crafted over time, constantly tweaking until it was just right. Avi came to the table with 38 years of meat, deli, and catering experience. Happy Jack Spice Company is the culmination of many years of cooking, laughing, grilling, toasting, and simply enjoying the process as a couple. Although Rob is missed tremendously by his family and friends, his style of seasoning and cooking will live on through Avi, their three amazing kids, and five grandchildren. Their seasonings and rubs have no preservatives, use the finest quality salts and natural ingredients, are non-GMO, and sustainably sourced. They don't cut corners. Visit happyjackspice.com to learn more. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Avi, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Marissa. I am incredibly honored. Tell us what we're going to be discussing today and how this can help our listeners. Today, I want to talk about food. Who doesn't like to talk about food? That is like everybody's favorite topic. Oh, yeah. As a spice professional, I want to talk about salt, fats, and spices. I'm often in a farmer's market. I do different shows, and I wanted to talk about things that my customers ask me as they're going through the farmer's market booth. And there's often some confusion when they're purchasing spice because that's not something people are really trained to purchase. And I'm sure that you run into a lot of the same questions, which is why I really appreciate you being here because you can clarify some of those questions for a lot of our listeners so that then when they think spices or even cooking in general, they're able to really understand what is behind the decisions they make to be able to come up with really tasty meals. Right. And people spend a lot of money on meat. I am a butcher's daughter. I grew up at Tony's Markets here in South Metro, Colorado. 38 years I worked in butcher shops, catering around amazing chefs. I learned so much from my environment and then went on to nutrition therapy school just to help my body heal from years of abuse with anxiety and such, and then didn't want to coach that. My uh, late husband and I opened a spice company using his blends and he passed away. I'm on my own now creating. He taught me a ton more than the previous people taught. So I've got about 43 years of food experience and I love food science. I want to know why something works, why it tastes better. Why does something on chicken breast taste totally different than something on chicken thigh. So, and the quality of the products used is critical and people will spend a ton of money on a nice cut of meat, but not really understand how to season it. 
Yeah. And that's the thing is that we're scared of that. Because we spent a ton of money on the meat. Yeah. And you're now worried that it's not going to come out good. And then what? Yeah. The spice really complements how the meat is going to turn out, among other things. I want to talk about salt because salt is really misunderstood. Too much salt is bad for you. I have this problem. I shouldn't be eating salt. We as humans require salt. People go on keto. They don't know they need to eat salt. They end up with headaches. They end up feeling weak. Salt is part of what keeps our body working. Salt also is part of what opens up the molecules in meat in order for the flavors to get inside of the meat to taste good. There is water in meat, but salt opens that up more. So you can tell that by simply taking a chicken breast and putting, let's say, our lemon pepper magic on it. Then you take a chicken thigh and put our lemon pepper magic on it. Same seasonings, two different cuts of meat, two completely different experiences eating. So if you want to have a better experience with the lemon pepper magic on the lean piece of meat, a little dry brining might be good for it. A little pre-marinade might be good for it with sodium so it'll open up the flavors. Salt also opens up the flavors on your taste buds. So if you've ever had a salt-free seasoning and you're like, meh, it just doesn't taste like much. That's because the salt is required to open up your taste buds as well and allow the umami, the different taste buds, the sour, the heat. It's a requirement for life, but it's a requirement for the satiating quality of grilling, smoking. Salt is critical. The size of the salt, the type of the salt, all that matters. Like anything, you have to take it in moderation. You need it, but you certainly don't want to sprinkle a gallon of salt on your food. Is there a recommended amount of salt that we should be thinking about when we use salt on a daily basis? You're better off adding salt to your food than buying food that has salt in it because you have no way of knowing really what's in it, how much is in it. So you're getting most of the damaging salt from prepackaged foods. When you're cooking meat, put as much on it as you desire, but be careful because too much is going to make the food now salty. So now I can't taste the flavors of the spices that are supposed to be complemented by the salt or complemented by the meat. So you want to just be careful. It's kind of hard to say put this much on because it's relative to the person. I don't like things overly salty. I want the flavors to come through. So I want the salt to open up the meat and then allow the flavors to come out. So if I'm going to dry brine a brisket, I will take much of the fat off, but leave a thin layer of the fat cap because the salt doesn't do as well going through the fat cap. On the lean areas, I just rub it on with kosher salt until it kind of gets a little crusty all over is the best way. If you go to the beach and you get sand on your legs and salty on your legs, it kind of feels like that where the meat just feels a little grainy and then allow it to rest overnight, you know, four hours, eight hours, 12 hours. Some meats you want to go 24 hours. They all vary depending on what you're going to do with it. If I'm going to put it on a smoker and it's got a lot of fat in it, like a pork butt, I can marinate it longer. And the fat matters too. So it all works together. It is science because we are taking chemicals. We are taking natural ingredients from nature and combining them into the animal. It's just like baking. You've got to do it correctly in order for the cake to rise. That's scientific as well. So in order to get a really good quality brisket, pork butt, New York strip, chicken thigh, wings, whatever, using what works for that animal, for that protein is critically important. There are two things that come to mind that I think our listeners might be asking. One is the confusion between salts, because there's so many different varieties. The other thing is, when do I salt? Because I hear people say, salt right when you put it on the pan, or salt beforehand, or wait until after it's cooked and then put salt. So 
Could you shed some light on those two areas? I can. Salting at different stages. There's a lot of things I cook, including a chili season that's coming out this fall that is cooked in what's called layers. So you're actually layering the food for a more intense flavor. If you salt it at the very end, it doesn't have the time to permeate the food. So layering it throughout the cooking will help it intensify the flavor of all the spices, not just the salt. It is difficult to get people to do that unless they really enjoy cooking because it takes more time. So a pot of chili that could take 30 minutes because you throw the hamburger in there, then you throw the seasonings on it and you put the tomatoes or whatever on it. Then it cooks for an hour. You just stir it a couple of times. Or my method is it's got two layers. You're sprinkling it at different times and you're permeating the meat a little bit better. It is more of a French style. So I say our seasonings are the depth and quality of Emerald Lagasse with a hit of Abiflay. And they go, oh, I get it. So cooking in layers is important. If you just want a little bit of salt on the top of something, seasoning at the end is fine. And I would liken that more to a vegetable, but still layering the salt and putting it in maybe different steps is going to give it a more permeated flavor of everything in the pan, not just the salt. In fact, I made a weaker taco seasoning for my husband's family in the past, and I had to go make another batch because I knew they weren't going to be able to take the heat and the rage in Southwest that we have because they're really, really mild food eaters. So I went out there, took out just the hot pepper and put in a milder pepper. And then I tasted it and it wasn't quite there. I just had to added a tiny bit of Red Mountain sea salt and the flavor blossomed. So it just was the tiniest bit of salt. Even though I took out a hot pepper and put in mild pepper, it wasn't right. So I had to accent it with salt to get that flavor to come through. It's kind of complicated. <laughs> Exactly. And that's why we're having this conversation, because I think these are things that people are just so confused about that it gets very frustrating. What about the different types of salt? You know, you go to the aisle, for example, for salt, and there's not only different brands, but so many different varieties. And then somehow I feel like there's also trends. There is trends. Sometimes there's salt in there that I've never heard of before. What are we looking for? Like what's the basic salt that we should always be using or at least have readily available for our general cooking purposes? The number one salt in my kitchen is kosher salt. And that is a sea salt. It's a larger flake. The size of the flake does matter. So it is size matters. If something calls for a teaspoon of salt and you use iodized table salt, you're going to get those little tiny granules. So that's going to be much saltier than if I use a teaspoon of kosher salt. There is some guessing you're going to have to do. So if you use kosher salt, it might take a teaspoon and a quarter because now it's a big fluffy flake. So it doesn't go the same. So you could also use sea salt. So let's say you want to use Himalayan sea salt instead of iodized salt. and It's got the smaller flake. That could be apples to apples, the same amount. I personally don't use iodized salt because it is stripped of minerals and iodine is added and we don't need that in our diets. That was something that was from eons ago. I prefer to get my iodine from eating land animals that eat grasses or my vegetables. And also you could get it from the ocean. So that's another reason I personally don't. Everybody gets to choose what goes in their body. As far as Himalayan salt, I personally use Red Mountain Sea Salt because it does come from ancient oceans right up in Utah. That's why it's called Salt Lake City. At some time in our history, there was salt water there. So it's landmined out of Utah. And because it's landmine salt, it's got a higher mineral content. So that's what we use in our blends here. Himalayan sea salt is very similar. It's less minerally because it is from the ocean, but it also has to travel halfway around the world. So it's less 
sustainable for our earth. I'd rather get salt from Utah that has a similar characteristic. So that's I use on vegetables just before eating it, more so because I want the minerals and I want the health effects of that. It has a good minerally flavor. You could tell the difference just by eating it. And then the last salt I use on a fairly regular basis is a large flake Malden salt, and it comes from England. It's big like giant snowflakes, and so it's a finishing salt. So that would go like after you turn a steak, you can put it on the other side. And because it's a large flake, you would think, oh, my God, that's going to be so salty. It's got a larger surface area, so it's not as salty as a whole bunch of little tiny granules with all those little surface areas become very salty. Are you searching for a trusted merchant service provider for your business? SG Associates LLC is your partner for quality payment and merchant service solutions. With over 15 years of experience in credit card processing, SG Associates offers merchants the best pricing, products, and customer service available from a payment and solution service provider. Their number one goal is to save their merchants as much as possible on their credit card processing fees. To learn how they can help you, call one 800 455-5211 or visit sg-associatesllc.com. That helps a lot. It narrows down our options and gives us a perspective of what we should be going after instead of being overwhelmed by hundreds of choices. They come in different colors and different sizes and all this stuff. Yeah, I think if you have a good quality, Gracie, Salt, Himalayan, Hawaiian, Whatever one makes you happy. I have like 12 or 15 salts in my cabinet, but I like the different sizes and I'll use them on different things, but I'm geeky that way. That's just me. You don't need that. I think if you have a kosher, if you have a sea salt of some sort, whether it be pink or white, and maybe two different size granules, because if I make popcorn, I want that really fine stuff on it, right? So it coats all those little granules. So I'll get extra fine just for my popcorn, but it just depends for cooking meat, which is mostly what Happy Jack Spice is all about is cooking meat as well as the side dishes that go with it. I use kosher salt and Red Mountain Sea Salt. Those are the two salts I use almost exclusively. So when in doubt, those two will really cover most of the bases, right? Yep. And you get kosher salt on the bottom shelf of just about any grocery store that you go to. Now, let's talk fat. Because I think that for the longest time, we've been hearing about how fat is terrible and you need to cut it out as much as possible. And because of that, we're afraid of it in the sense that when we go buy meats, even chicken, we go after the leanest piece of meat we possibly can. And then we wonder why we're missing some of the flavor. So how does fat work into that so that we can still balance and make sure that we're eating healthy, but still taking into account that flavor is going to be enhanced if we don't take all the fat out of the equation as well? Saturated fat got beat up pretty bad in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The way I, as a trained nutritionist, would talk to people is when your great-grandparents would open their back door, they would eat what walked on the land, what grew on the land, what flew over the land, what swam in the creeks. That's what they ate. They didn't eat processed fats. They didn't eat fats like cottonseed oil that's been heated up and then deodorized and oxidated. It's become damaging oils. And I'm not going to get into a ton of that because I have tons of opinions on that. That's another conversation. But saturated fat, fatty meats are so much better when grilling. Take salmon, for instance. Salmon has high fat content and it's much moister. It'll grill nicely in the oven. It doesn't dry unless you just really overcook it. 
you take something lean like a halibut or haddock or something like that, it's going to dry pretty fast. It's a lower fat content. They're both good for you, but one's going to have a higher fat content. And the nutrition side of it is just completely different, but the fat helps the flavor of the seasoning come to life. So if you get, let's say a ribeye, that's got more marbling in it. And people will go to the meat counter and they'd be like, oh, that looks fattier than the New York strip steak. One has a little bit more fat. One has a little bit less fat. Both have fat in it. And you know, you always want to go for something with more marbling because the marbling is the tinier little pieces of fat as opposed to, I don't like a big piece of fat in my mouth. I don't mind a little bit on the edge. I just don't like the texture of it. But my late husband thought that was the best part. And that's the part that a lot of the seasoning comes into. And that's the part that creates that amazing silky sauce at the bottom of the pan that you don't want to throw away. You want to put that back on your steak. That's all from that fat that's been cooked and denatured and then melted. I just say, don't be afraid of saturated fat. I lost 58 pounds eating it on a regular basis. I am a butcher's daughter. I love meat. I eat it every day. I eat it three times a day, sometimes four, and I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. And to your point, I think like anything, everything in moderation, I believe, if you cut off all the fat, then you definitely lose out on the flavor. So don't be afraid to have that in there, but balance everything out. And of course, check with your doctor as well and see what your restrictions are based on your health needs. At the end of the day, the bottom line is that if you eliminate fat completely, it's definitely going to impact the overall flavor of what you're eating. It is going to impact the flavor. I don't even eat chicken breast anymore because I'm like, eh, it's kind of okay now. And I love me some chicken thigh and wings. I cooked some up last night. I just took some of the oldies pitmaster, threw some kosher salt in it and put it in olive oil. In fact, my friend Kevin, this is his recipe. One of my customers said, hey, have you ever tried this? And he shared it with me. I tried it. I'm like, oh my God. So I had to publish it. So the recipe now says inspired by Kevin Mihawk. And he's on my website and I'd love it if more home chefs would tell me what they're doing. It's impossible to know all the things you can do with Happy Jack. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. My favorite cut of chicken is always going to be the thigh. Always. It's just the best as far as I'm concerned. Cheaper. Definitely. Cheaper and to me, more delicious. In certain situations, the breast can do a really good job depending on what you're making. So we're not knocking anything at all, but you and I would agree that the flavor in thighs, just overall, it's a winner. It is. And so fat actually has been studied at the National Institute of Health. I've got this book called The Food Lab that I love. I got another one, which is pretty technical, but I love getting to the root of why something works. Fat influences tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. So it gets into the intramuscular, it gets into the gristly parts, it gets into all those parts, it lubricates the meat. So fat is really critical for the higher satiation of what we're eating. I'm a huge flavor person. I'm like rub it on thick, especially when smoking. I want that flavor in the meat. So there's going to be a long period of dry brining for me. The longer you brine it, denatures the meat and allows the sodium to go into the meat deeper. So the longer you brine it, the deeper it goes, which then allows the flavors of the spices that you're putting on it to get in deeper into the meat. Speaking of spices, not all spices are created equal. And I think that people don't know that. And oftentimes, even if they did, they don't really understand the difference until they get their hands on real spice, like something that's fresh 
and has lots of minerals and is really good for you overall. And when they taste that, they are able to really sense the difference. What makes a good spice and why should people invest in a good spice? Because let's be honest, if you're getting good spices, they're not going to be the cheapest. Correct. So freshness is number one. Many of the restaurant supply chains, they get those big giant jugs of spice from who knows where for the best price they can get it for. I source with a young man named Zach, and he's been to most of the farms that the spices I get come from. He knows the families who grow these spices, a lot of them in South America. When I say spice, I'm referring to peppers. Spice is an overarching term that refers to peppers. So when you look at a label, oftentimes it gets confusing because it says it has garlic and pepper and spice. Well, what the heck is spice? Spice could be chamayo, it could be Aleppo peppers, it could be Wahio peppers. So it could be any of those peppers can fit into that category. And the reason the FDA allows that is because we don't have to give away our trade secret on the label if we can throw a few of those spices into a lump category, but maybe leave Chipotle out to let the buyer know it's a little smoky or habanero to let the buyer know it's hot. Spices really are the red part of the seasoning. Unless people put paprika in it as a coloring, which is very common. An over-the-counter one I've got sitting right here that I grew up on, it's First ingredient is salt. So I'm going to assume that's iodized table salt because it doesn't indicate. Second ingredient is sugar. The third ingredient is spices. And then you look at my jar, which would be the comparable, which is the prime steak and burger seasoning. The first ingredient is sea salt. The second ingredient is spice. The third ingredient is black pepper. The sea salt I buy is 17 times more expensive than table salt, but I want the quality. I don't want iodized. There's nothing not natural in our spice. So if you go through the rest of that label, then it goes into the first label. The brand name says paprika, turmeric, cornstarch, which is a thickener, as well as an anti-caking ingredient. So it doesn't stick together. Garlic, natural flavor, and extra tips of paprika, which means they use it for color to give it that red color. They don't use as many spices because spices are one of the most expensive ingredients in over garlic and onion and those sorts of things. I don't use any anti-caking ingredients. That means you have to shake it before you use it because I don't use something that separates it. An anti-caking ingredient can also be cottonseed oil or canola oil, and that keeps the granules apart. So Marissa, when you said you can smell the spices when you open it, that's because they're not coated with something. A lot of people come to the farmer's market and they're like, can I smell that lemon pepper magic? I'm like, I don't suggest you do because you're going to walk away sneezing because you're going to get a big whiff of the lemon juice powder and habanero and you're going to be not happy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, please don't sniff it, but do it on your own if you really want to. So I do have to shake that one and let it settle for a minute before I shake it out because it is peppery and it goes right up your nose and you're like, wow, that's going to be amazing, but I don't think I want to sniff it anymore. As you're explaining that, it kind of reminds me of, let's say you were going to buy a bag of potato chips. Why would one potato chip cost more than the other? And if you read the label, and that's why reading labels is so critical. If you read it closely, you will see what's in it. And you'll see that the more expensive bag of chips will have pure ingredients. Like it'll literally say olive oil or avocado oil, and then organic potatoes and whatever else is in there. And usually it's very minimal. It's just very, very clean. And then you look at the very inexpensive bag of potato chips, and then it's like a laundry list of things that you can't even pronounce. Yes, they're looking for shelf life. Any spice you buy from Happy Jack only has a two-year expiration on it. I can't say that about my competitors. 
we are looking for a certain clientele that this sort of thing really matters. If you're going to spend that kind of money on a steak or what have you, it really matters. You should be able to pronounce every ingredient on the label. And I noticed that in your labels are super clean and easy to understand what's in it and very natural. And that is key because people always ask, why am I paying more? I mean, isn't the spice a spice? I mean, I can just grab it and go. I would say that if you compare that to really fresh ingredients, it'll stand out. You'll notice the difference, but it's hard to tell when you're just throwing something on there. Let me give you a cute little story that just happened last week. I'm going to totally bust my cousin in Texas. She's been buying the Rage and Southwest taco and, and fajita seasoning and making tacos for her husband. And she ran out a couple weeks ago and made her husband over-the-counter tacos. And he's like, what's wrong with the tacos? They're not right. <laughs> she called and ordered some more. And I'm like, you cheated on me. I am so offended. But <laughs> they'd only bought the one jar and only eaten it for the last few months. And then went back to the, what they were eating before. And it was like, oh, my God, what have you done to my tacos? They're ruined. So I thought that was a cute story because she even admitted it. So that was pretty funny. It really does show you that you don't know what you're missing until you're missing it. Because if you don't know any better and you're used to eating something and then all of a sudden you upgrade and then that gets taken away, you will notice the difference right away. Exactly. And then you're spoiled forever. So one of the things I'm not ashamed of is being a food snob. I'm not ashamed of asking for what I want to put in my body, asking for what I want to enjoy. This is my body. This is my mouth. I get to enjoy what I want to enjoy. So one should never be ashamed. I'm not saying you go to somebody's house and complain about the food. You're always gracious that you were invited over. Never complain. Eat what you can. If you don't like what you ate there before, maybe you eat before you go the next time. Food is for sharing. Food is for enjoyment. Food creates memories. When I was at Tony's years ago, one of our very, very longtime customers had passed away and his wife called me and said, I just can't imagine having his funeral without Tony's because you guys were everything. On Saturday, he would plan his whole day around the shopping at the store and then he'd cook something for the family. So there's all these foods that they grew up with. So that was part of their family culture. So of course, because she said all that, I gave her a free funeral catering. <laughs> Because he was such a great customer and I just really wanted to be part of it. But to be brought into somebody's home and put on their turkey that they serve or their prime rib they serve at Christmas is nothing but an amazing honor. And to create memories for those children growing up, well, the first thing you do is you go to Happy Jack and buy that prime rib seasoning. It's such an honor. Yeah. And to me, food is a universal language. It's how you show love to someone because if you give them a meal they enjoy, they never forget it. It really does stick with you. And what you put in your body matters. And so whenever you can make those right choices so that you're eating as healthy as possible, that's always a win. I think spices are a big part of that. AV, can you tell us how our listeners can get a hold of you and learn more about your spices? Yes, go to happyjackspice.com and you can reach out, contact me. There's a recipe page there. How you order is there. Where you can find us is there. My blog is there. So happyjackspice.com. You can also sign up for the e-news, which gives recipes and links to the blog. I only do about two a month because I want them to be quality, not quantity. I'm at Facebook, Happy Jack Spice. I'm also on Instagram at Happy Jack Sizzles. Great. So that way people can follow you and see what you're up to and have access to recipes and all kinds of cool stuff when it comes to spices. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today, Avi. 
Thanks, Marissa. I enjoyed it so much. That's a wrap for this episode of Live Blissed Out. Thanks for listening. And thanks to A.V. Rosacci for joining us on the show. If you have a question or comment for a future episode, all you have to do is go to speakpipe.com forward slash L-B-O-V-M or click the link in the show notes to leave a brief audio message. If you find value in our show, please visit liveblissedout.com to reach out, subscribe, and share on social media. This show is made possible through listeners like you. Thank you. So long for now, and remember to keep moving forward.